This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freaking Pod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Greetings, hikers. Thank you for tuning in to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. I'm Doc, and I'm your host. I'm interested to hear what you guys thought of our new intro to the podcast. Pretty cool, huh? Thought I would go for a little more polish to boost our audience numbers. Watch out now because we are legit. Well, in today's episode, we're going to take a slight detour from the John Muir Trail and focus on some of the shorter trips we have taken in the Sierras in recent years. And just because a trip only spans a few days or even just one day does not mean that it won't be an epic trip with some incredible sights and memories. 
Each of the three trips on today's episode fits that epic profile. We will start off with a trip that took just a day to complete, but it was a day that saw a start and end in Happy Isles in Yosemite and take a trip up the cables to the top of Half Dome. Next, we will spend a little time on the High Sierra Trail on a four-day jaunt from Crescent Meadow to Precipice Lake and back. And finally, we'll finish up with three days doing the Mineral King Loop, where we started off with three hikers and finished with two. Helping me with these three trips today is Jukebox, who we have referred to in earlier episodes and who accompanied me on each of these three trips. Welcome, Jukebox, to the John Freakin' Muir Studio. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to dig into some of these trails. I know, you know, Doc talked about it. it doesn't have to be a long hike to be legit, and I also want to throw a disclaimer out there that it doesn't have to be a long trip to suck either. So there's some definitely some highlights and some lowlights of all of these. Yeah, very true. I mean, we, we embraced the suck to some level on uh, each of those three trips. That is true. All right. So like we do with all our guests here, Jukebox, uh, in the John freaking Muir studio, I want you to look around the studio and just kind of pick out three items and in your in your line of sight and just, just name those items. No further explanation. We're just trying to give our listeners a, a feel for, for what the studio looks like. Okay. I see an origami boat. I see a pretty much full water bottle and I see some I see a bag of glide dental flossers wow wow those are some some nice items from the studio you you guys have no idea where we are (laughs) nice now jukebox like I like I have done with uh, buddy and chopper before we'll talk a little bit about your trail name jukebox is a trail name it's it's not your given name can you tell us a little bit behind the story of how you came to be known as Jukebox? Yeah, so uh, my first through hike uh, was the northern half of the John Muir Trail. So we started at Florence Lake and started hiking all the way on our way to Yosemite eventually, we were hoping. Um, and I think a way that I kind of dealt with the trail and you know the long days was singing my favorite songs. Uh, anything from the Eagles, Billy Joel... Led Zeppelin, you know, some of the classics, you know, couldn't sing more of the recent stuff because of Doc and Chopper and Skids and, you know, my my uh, my older accomplices, you know, they wouldn't really get the newer references, but that's pretty much where Jukebox comes from. Yeah, it got to the point where I think we were throwing you quarters and making requests and you were, I, you were singing on requests. I was taking requests, yes. Yeah. And what was impressive to me was that you, you knew all the words. There was a, a point in the... Uh, one of the, the long hikes, uh, the southern half, where I was isolated for a time on the trail, and it was really, really embracing the suck. And so I thought I would sing some songs to pass the time. And I realized quickly that the only song that I knew all the words to uh, was the Happy Birthday song. Right, and I, I mean, I'll take credit. I do know most of the words, but in my, in, in my defense, I, I don't know if Doc would have known. If I was saying all the words correctly, you know, I think I, I you know, these guys are getting altitude brain at eight thousand feet. You know, I was I was operating at a high level, but fake it till you make it. If you, exactly, if you, if you say it with confidence, uh, it, people are going to believe you. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely, good strategy. All right, so the first trip we're going to talk about is just a one day trip. Shouldn't be any problem for for anybody, right? It's just one day. How bad could it be? Uh, it's, this is the Half Dome trip that we took. 
We actually spent the night in Oakmont, Oakhurst, Oakhurst. Oakmont's a golf course, I think. We spent the night in Oakhurst the night before so we can get an early start, and we drove out to Happy Isles and made the, the trip up to the top of Half Dome and then back again. Completed it in one day, but really just kind of summarizing it like that does not do it justice whatsoever. So just for those of you that, that have not done Half Dome before, it starts in Happy Isles in Yosemite. Um, it is from Happy Isles parking lot, and it's about eight and a half miles out to Half Dome via, via the Mist Trail. Uh, during that time, you gain about 4,800 feet in elevation, and the last 400 feet, you have to use the cables. These are these are cables on the side of Half Dome that you use to get to the top of Half Dome, and then you kind of relax up there and enjoy your accomplishment, and then you head back down for the eight and a half mile return trip to Happy Isles. Uh, take you from anywhere from 10 to 14 hours or even longer depending on your speed and you do need a permit to hike the to hike half dome and they only allow 300 people per day up on top of half dome so what do you what do you remember from that trip jukebox well that was i believe the first time i've been to yosemite and actually participated in a hike and been out and around you know maybe i was there before i don't i don't really remember that much maybe i just drove through casually but the mist trail when you first get on it it is very you know impressive scenic um you feel like you're really out there because it is a national park um but you know it's a war of attrition you keep hiking on this mist trail you keep going up the stairs up the stairs and then after you get past the waterfalls it's just a lot of stairs to keep going up and up and up yeah. um that's that yeah that was a that was a high water year there was a lot of snow that year so there's a lot of uh the rivers and the waterfalls were really full and coming up on the mist trail there was a time where it was just it was you me and buddy and we were the only ones on the mist trail and we we took some pictures with nevada falls in the background it was just incredible just a torrential downpour from that uh, from that waterfall and to be there all alone just the three of us there was was pretty epic i mean the mist was hitting us and we were 100 yards away from the waterfall yeah. and it was still hitting us yeah i also can't believe that a lot of people try to take they hop over the guardrails and try to take pictures up by Nevada Falls there, and I, it's ill-advised. Yeah, there's warning signs that you, you wouldn't normally think you would need warning signs. You're on the, the side of a sheer cliff next to a waterfall. There are railings up, and the sign says, do not climb over the railings to take a picture. But sure enough. It's a Darwin Award, natural selection yeah. type stuff. Yeah. If, if you see a railing on the side of a cliff, don't climb over it. it you know what? That, that brings me to a, a little thing that we've been doing on the podcast every every week we kind of stumble upon the just through the natural free flow of conversation we stumble upon the pro tip insight of the week okay something no we're not planning for it we'll just see what comes up in the conversation at the end of the episode we will make the declaration that this is the pro tip insight of the week so okay that that might be a candidate it could know? be we we speculate here this is just the first of many maybe mm -hmm. this episode okay yep so what what really struck me was that you need a permit to to hike this trail to get on top of uh, Half Dome, and when you go the eight and a half miles and you come to the base of the Sub Dome, Sub Dome is a is a uh, rock rocky structure that you've got to uh, overcome before you get to the cables. But at the base of the Sub Dome is a ranger. He is he or she. 
it was a he in this case, he was checking permits to make sure that, you know, the right number of people were going up. He, he would look at your permit to see if this was the correct day and, and uh, you were able to proceed past him. But as I discovered later on, him simply checking the permit really didn't prepare anybody for what we were about to experience. There was no advice whatsoever about the cables. There was no advice, uh, nobody doing any kind of traffic control on the cables. I think it was it was pretty pretty surprising to me that once you got to the cables, it was a it was a freaking free for all. Yeah, you, you have people going up, you have people coming down. Um, there's no rhyme or reason, and you're you're on these you're on the this slope that I've read was supposed to be like 45 degrees. It's like a 45 degree slope, and then right. you, have, you have the cables to assist you in climbing up that slope, and it's just sheer granite, sheer granite face is what, right. you, what you're on. And it at times on those cables, it felt felt more like a 70 percent. Oh incline. yeah, definitely. I I would say that yeah, going back to the permits and the ranger checking, it's basically a license to die. He's not. Pre- there's no preparation. You get there and you think it's one thing. I remember when you first get up to the sub dome and you see the half dome and the cables, you're thinking like, oh, okay, like, you know, I see a lot of people going up there, but once you get to the bottom and you're like, oh, I have to climb up this. It's a climb. It's not It's not a walk up the half dome. It's a mm-hmm. climb. I remember when I got about halfway up, I looked to, one thing you don't want to do is look to the sides because I looked to the sides and I could see the granite there, you know, almost parallel with my chest trying to stay up and climb. And, you know, keep in mind, I was 18 years old and pretty much peak physical shape. And it was very, very hard for me to get up there. I mean, I remember my arms were killing me by the time I got to the top. Yeah, just a disclaimer. People people have died on this trail, have have died on the cables. They have fallen off and plunged to their death. And it, it was not any more reassuring when you've got people coming down the cables at the same time that you're going up the cables. And some of these folks uh, had harnesses on, safety harnesses on, and they were clipped onto the cables. That was that was not our experience. Uh, we weren't clipped on. We were just hanging on for dear life. And these guys are motoring down uh, in their in their safety gear. All it would take is a you know just a nudge, a bump, and to dislodge you, and you could be toast. I mean, also, I'm not sure the when these these cables were installed into the granite face there, but it's not like they were done as reliable as they could be who even if one of the guys bumped me going down or say he uprooted one of the cables that could take down a lot more people so here's the thing the cables are on poles that are that are stuck into holes in the granite and you know they're not cemented into the no no that's yeah there are holes in the granite the poles are in the holes and then the cables are on the on the poles and they do that because they take down the cables uh, during a, a portion of the year, it's only the, the, the only open. I think it's May through October. The when cables they don't are want people to go when up it's there. October it hits October. They take the the cables down because it's too dangerous to to go up there in those conditions, and so they can't cement them in. I think they just they just take the pole and the cables out altogether, and then uh, when when you get to May, then they they put put the cables back on. So that that in itself, just by the very nature of what they do and how they do it, it makes it even sketchier in my opinion. What what did you think once we got to the top? Well, I just want to say that before before we got there, before we did this trip, the summer before, Chopper and Big E 
had done Half Dome and I had asked them about it. Hey, how was your Half Dome trip? And I had seen pictures of them at the top. And they, the only advice they gave to us was, uh, hey, just remember to bring gloves. For oh, the cables. yeah. Bring yeah. gloves. Yep. Nothing about safety equipment. Nothing about near 70 degree inclines. Nothing about people dying uh, or possibly dying. I, I certainly didn't do my research because I was, I think I was lulled into a false sense of, uh, Serenity, thinking, oh, this is you know, this is a hike, and we'll just climb up there, use the cables, and and see some great views. But uh, Chopper and Big E definitely underplayed this, in my in my opinion. I was not prepared. I had my gloves, but I was not prepared when I was at the base of those cables, looking up. It was crazy. Not at all. I think uh, the scariest part for me was I was about. So it's the last four hundred feet of the climb with the cables. So you have to go up these cables four hundred feet. I was about 40 feet from the top and both quads started cramping up. I remember that. I, I couldn't, if I moved, I would cramp up. And here I am, 360 feet up the cables, 40 feet from the top, not in a safe position at all. And legs, I think it was both it was both quads and both hamstrings were, were cramping up. So that was kind of uh, nerve-wracking, but I finally got over that last 40 feet, and the first thing I did was just lay down up there for a good half hour, catching my breath and trying to let things uh, uncramp. Once I got to the top, I remember it. I got close to the edge as far as like walking to kind of that diving board they have there, mm-hmm. and I did not like being there. I was, I was pretty nervous and scared. They, they, they should have guardrails up there. But I don't know. You can't probably do that in the too yeah. too much of a landmark. But still, it was pretty nerve wracking just being up there. But it is like it's rare air, and the view there you can see everything, the whole valley. Yeah, breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. And there was a group of people up there that came up the same time we did, who decided they were going to explore the kind of the uh, not go to the edge where the diving board is, but go the opposite direction, kind of where it slopes down, like the backside of Half Dome. Which just hearing them say that they were going to go take a look at that made me really freaked out because, you know, how far do you go? And just the whole sense right. of, of, man, you just lose your footing and you start sliding down that thing. That's, uh, that gave me the heebie-jeebies. And I also think about, um, I'm not sure which documentary it was, if it was uh, Free Solo or if it was The Dawn Wall um, where Alex Honnold was talking about the time that he did Half Dome. Free Solo. Was it Free Solo? Yeah. And he came up He came up the sheer face of, of uh, Half Dome. And I can imagine being one of the people up top there that he talks about. Because there's a lot of people kind of milling about. They've, they've gone through the traditional trail and up the cables and, and up there. But he came up the sheer face of Half Dome and climbed up over the side. And there he is standing on the top. And I don't think any... I think he said that nobody saw him actually come over the top right they just thought he was another hiker on the top of half dome right right and he had those those climbing shoes on i think he took his shoes off and people were like wow you're gonna hike barefoot you know not realizing the sheer magnitude of his accomplishment of coming up uh free soloing the the sheer face of half dome it it would be kind of anticlimactic to me to think okay i just did this incredible accomplishment and people are asking me oh you're gonna hike barefoot down the uh down the cables that's wild so pretty funny all right, other final thoughts on Half Dome before we move on to our next trip, Jukebox? Um, just, you know, getting to the top, 
was tough, but I also would want to say that getting down is also very tough. Picking whether you want to go down front or backwards, I think I would recommend going down backwards first until it, because it does get steeper towards the top, and I think once you get kind of the second half, you can maybe rotate and go frontwards, but I think I would recommend going down backwards to start. Good point. Yeah, that's a, that was another thing that kind of gave me pause was, okay, now I've got to go down. Do I go down facing forward or do I go down like I'm climbing a ladder going down? So it was uh, it was very interesting, but it was it felt really good once you got down to the subdome and were able to just you know kind of walk normal again. And then once you also get down back to the what what's the like the beginning of the trail called of the mist trail like that it's pretty touristy. And once you finish getting down and you're like 15, 16 miles into this hike and you've got to navigate through hundreds of tourists that are down there at the falls. And that was a frustrating part. I understand that everyone wants to witness the national parks and go to Yosemite and see the falls. But at the end of that hike, it was just brutal to have to ask people, excuse me, excuse me, because you just climbed down 4,000 feet. Yeah, when we you heard, I remember when I said we got there that uh, when we were on the mist trail, it was just like the three of us there. It's because we were, it was so early in the day, but by the time we get back, it's it's uh, you know mid afternoon, and like you said, just hundreds of people there, and the path was so crowded, and just trying to get past the people who are, are now walking up the trail, it was it was uh, frustrating and tedious to try and get that last part done. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So our next trip is the Precipice Lake trip. This was a four-day hike that we did. We probably could have done it in three days, but we did it in four days, and it's part of the High Sierra Trail. It was about uh, 38 miles round trip. It was out and back, and of course you you need a, a permit for this. It was in Sequoia National Park. You start in Crescent Meadow. And you hike uh, about 11 miles to uh, Bear Paw Meadow. And then from there, the next day, you've got a shorter hike that takes you up through Hamilton Lakes. And we actually camped at Hamilton Lakes. We set up our tents and then went unpacked up to Precipice Lake, which is uh, kind of a remote lake at 10,300 feet in a, a granite bowl. Just, you know, breathtaking. Very, very cool. What do you remember from that trip, Jukebox? The first thing I remember was being pleasantly surprised at the beginning of the trail as far as you start in Sequoia, and it's pretty dense where you start by the parking lot, um, but once you come out of the trees and you're actually on the ridge there along the cliff, you can see the whole mountainside across, and you're pretty high up, so you have a great view of everything, and just picture like probably, I don't know the distance, but across the way it's a big canyon that you're on one side of it and the other side is just beautiful mountains covered in trees as far as you can as far as you can go both ways pretty much yeah. that's what i remember to start yeah and that that first 11 miles was pretty gentle it wasn't any kind of steep incline pretty gentle and you're you're hugging this mountain the side of this mountain and uh the views are just spectacular i've got some great shots of you alone kind of a little maybe a quarter mile ahead up on uh some rocks it looked uh, just absolutely primordial. Primordial, and and even if I if I remember if I'm remembering this correctly, when it's not just a it, like you are hiking along this ridge, but along the ridge there's also parts of granite that you cross over. There's 
creeks that are flowing down the crossover, like a lot of mm-hmm. a lot packed into that one section there, the first eleven miles to start. Yeah, do you remember the bride and groom we saw? Oh yeah, they were taking their wedding pictures right yeah, there. So, so a bride and groom had actually parked in Crescent, uh, not Cre- yeah Crescent Crescent Meadow parking lot and had hiked the I don't know two or three miles to this particular point where they wanted to take their wedding photos, but they were in full on tuxedo and, and wedding gown, which was uh, kind of a uh, interesting juxtaposition. Here we are with our full packs and and hiking poles, and and here's a a tuxedo and and uh, bridal gown couple walking down the trail. Pretty funny. They couldn't have hiked much further comfortably. No, no, not <laughs> at all. Um, this is part of the High Sierra Trail, and when you get to Hamilton Lakes, there there's Lower Hamilton Lake and there's Upper Hamilton Lake. Nice, uh, nice accommodations there. Good campsites, uh, a pit toilet. Uh, if I remember correctly, the Lower Hamilton Lake was more. It was not very big. It was not. It was not. It was pretty small. Hamilton Lake itself isn't very big either, but don't you could probably mistake the lower lakes for ponds. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. But at, at Hamilton Lake, there was a. I said there's a pit toilet, and that's. It's interesting because most places you go, you know, there aren't any kind of toilets. You, you you've got your trowel and your uh, and your toilet paper, and you, you find a place. But uh, pit toilet was interesting because it's this wooden platform with a kind of a back wall, maybe a side wall. There just two walls. You're not walled in at all, and there's a toilet sitting on top of this uh, wooden structure. And so, you know, one at a time, people would go up there and, and you'd be out there sitting on the throne uh, in the middle of, of this natural glory. It's a pretty interesting experience. It was. It was. <laughs> when we went up to Precipice Lake, the, the, the three miles from Hamilton up to Precipice, uh, pretty steep incline. But one of the one of the coolest features on that trail, and this is, I think, probably the epic portion of the trip, was this, there was this... Uh, ice column coming down the mountain and as we are walking down the path we realize that that the path disappears because this huge structure of ice is covering it and we're wondering well what do we do now I mean we have to climb over this this piece of ice and we got up to the uh, the ice column and realized that the path uh, continued behind the ice column. We actually went underneath and behind this huge structure of ice, and it was melting as we were as we were hiking through it. Uh, water draining down the the side of the mountain, dripping off of the ice as we're we're going behind it. It was uh, it was very cool. When I was back there, it reminded me of when you're on the Matterhorn ride and you enter the 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 cave there with the what, I don't know what they call the monster, the Yeti or the Yeti. whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever that was, but. Definitely a little nervous, hoping, hey, I hope this doesn't fall while I'm behind here, but it was stark difference, because it was hot when we went, it was summertime, and so mm-hmm. it's hot on one side, and then you get behind, and it's nice and cold, and then you come out the other side. Yeah, it was it was crazy cool. It was uh, one of the one of the weirdest, coolest things that I've seen and done going behind that, that ice formation. Also, another cool feature of that steep incline going up to Precipice Lake is every time you hit a switchback, you keep looking down at the lake and it keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then once you get to the top, you're like, holy smokes, how did I get up here? Yeah, it, it's amazing with the switchbacks how quickly you ascend. Um, you know, you put in 15 minutes, a uh, half hour worth of work, and you are way higher than where you started. So you know, switchbacks, some of you might think, oh my gosh, I've got to... 
I've got to put in extra effort to get up this hill, but uh, it, those switchbacks really help you gain altitude in a hurry. And, you know, the higher you get, the better the perspective. So we get up to Precipice Lake, and it's not quite what I expected. Was it what you expected? Not really, because it was frozen. There was so much snow up there. I didn't, I didn't really see where the lake was. But then once, well, because I had looked at pictures beforehand and seen what the lake was supposed to look like. And so when I saw the granite wall behind the lake, I said, oh, this is the lake. Yeah, it was frozen solid. It was this, it was this white, bluish, light blue. I remember. The color spectrum was just incredible. It was almost kind of sketchy walking around up there because you don't know where you're stepping. I was worried that maybe I was going to venture too close to the lake at one point. And go through. And go through. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're right. It was backstopped by this sheer granite cliff. Uh, this sheer granite wall uh, was behind the lake, and it was just, uh, you, get, you get this feeling of being so remote, um, and the, 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 the colors of the ice, you know, the blue and the white, uh, just so picturesque. And so quiet up there, too. Yeah. It's, it was one of those moments when you're hiking, when you're like, oh, this is why I love to hike. You get up there and you see that and you're like, this exists and nobody knows about it, but I saw it right mm-hmm. here. Yeah, and the only way to see it in person is to you know put in the work and, and put in the miles and get up there. Yeah, and then also getting up there, I don't know if this was one of your fonder memories, but glissading down. Yes, that's right, glissading, the art of glissading. So if, if you don't know what glissading is, that's when you, uh, you know, we talked about the switchbacks, but there's all this snow up there. And so there's an opportunity to, instead of following the switchbacks on the way down, to kind of get on your butt and slide down on the snow and ice from one switchback to a, a lower switchback. And so we, we gave that a shot. I had heard about glissading and I'd, I wanted to try it. So we, we did it. Uh, Jukebox had a very successful glissading experience. Uh, I had an interesting experience in which the, you know the first i don't know 75 100 feet was was fantastic the last 2 feet when i bounced off the large boulder uh hit it with my shoulder and back and kind of fell onto the trail below that was not so cool but. i thought you hit your coccyx too your tailbone back there i thought you hit a lot of stuff there was a lot of stuff going wrong on that the final five feet of that of that glissade could get dangerous the the further you glissade glissade you know i'm not i'm not the best physics guy but i can imagine you get some some force going down a hill if you're not careful. Hey, you took AP physics in high school. You should be able to work out that, that, that formula, that calculation. Far removed. Far removed. All right. Also, very interesting, there, are, there were a couple of deer uh, at Hamilton Lake. We saw them during the day, and uh, when we closed up for the night, we were in our tents, um, didn't hear anything all night, but when, I, when we woke up, there were some things missing around our campsite. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think my Under Armour was missing. (laughs) Your hat was missing. A bunch of other stuff was missing. I remember getting woken up and said, oh no, the deer got our stuff. I said, what what do you mean the deer got our stuff? My Under Armour was chewed up and... Yeah, so evidently the deer have a, a particular fondness for the salt content of sweaty hats and shirts and straps on, on trekking poles. So all you know, my hat was was it wasn't damaged, but when I picked it up about you know 
10 yards away from my camp, it was covered in deer saliva. It was just yeah. dripping with deer saliva. Same thing with, with uh, Jukebox's shirt. And then one of my one of my straps on my hiking pole was chewed almost all the way through just because they were, they were uh, fond of that salty taste. So, I mean, you, you really haven't experienced life until you've put on a a deer saliva filled hat or under armor under shirt, armor yeah. shirt yeah that that takes you to the next level of hiking yeah you had i had to wear it so i had just put it on toughen up toughen up speaking of tough one of the things we always talk about when we go on these tri- on these uh these hikes and these trails is that you know how we should swim in lakes as much as possible jump into the lakes whenever we get a chance you know, we stink, we smell, we're hot, we're sweaty. Get in there, cool off, refreshing. You're out in the middle of nowhere, swimming, swimming in a uh, a lake. It's just, you know, what could be better? But in reality, those lakes are damn cold. They are. They are. I remember I, I don't know if you guys were egging me on or if I wanted to do it for my own justification, but I took a dip in Hamilton Lake, and the best way to describe it was it was so cold that it felt like it had stripped all of the dirt and musk and everything off of me. That's how cold it was. It felt like it removed stuff from my body. Mm-hmm. It was too. It was too numb to smell. Like it, it was just cleaned. Yeah, and I think everybody was peer pressured into going into Hamilton Lake, so we all took a dip. And what I remember is, you you submerge yourself and you come up. You cannot breathe. You nope. cannot talk. Uh, it just takes your breath away. Yeah, but it, I mean, it felt good. Your your muscles enjoy that after a long hike, being mm-hmm. in the cold water. Yeah, I think we have a particularly nice picture of you uh, lounging uh, by the side of of Hamilton Lake. I uh, think, yeah, I think you there are what you're yes, wearing the long johns, the white long sleeve, and some white long john pants. Classic photo. We'll we'll get that up on Instagram and, and Twitter for for our listeners out there. There was a look, and then the the precipice lake trip really took an unusual turn at the end so you go out you go up to precipice lake we camped at hamilton lake and then we we camp we hiked back to uh bear paw meadow uh where we had camped the first night and then you know we returned back to crescent meadow uh parking lot and the last i don't know 200 yards of that hike we're, we're literally 200 yards away from the parking lot and we had something pretty scary happen to us. Yeah, I remember walking past these two bucks. Um, I mean, definitely not the biggest antlers in the forest, but, you know, big enough. And we walked past them. And, you know, you're always kind of, you're weary at first and nervous to walk around the wildlife. But we, I remember the deer started running after us. Yeah, so as we passed them, you know, picture us on, on a trail. And it's a little bit lower to our right. And it's it's higher to our left. And these two bucks are about 40, 50 yards, you know, to our right off of the trail, grazing, eating, doing doing what deer do, I guess. And uh, we passed them. And uh, after a couple of minutes, we looked over our shoulders to see where they were. And they were much closer to us at that point. They were running after us. It was, it had looked like these deer had planned this out or, or had done it before. I, I swear they we were on this trail on a hillside so you know half, half of the hill is below us the other half's above us right so we're uh-huh. right in the middle of that the one of the deer had they were flanking us one of them was on the lower side of the trail the other one was on the upper side of the trail running at us uh-huh. and i remember turning around and this is this is already after doc had said 
my ankle's killing me, my foot. He was having problems, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> well, if I'm the only one that can run out of this, I'm not getting mauled by two deer. Right? I'm not I'm not getting punctured right now. <laughs> yeah, I remember Jukebox yelling, hurry up, run, run. And I, and I said, this is as fast as I go at this point. I am. I, the tank is empty. I am... I am battered and beat up from uh, from 38 miles. So meanwhile, I'm 100 yards, definitely within shouting distance from the parking lot. And Doc is behind me fiddling around with his fanny pack trying to get the bear horn out. Meanwhile, I'm ready to, to skewer these deer with my hiking pole, screaming every obscenity in the book. Gives little kids around. Parents are covering their ears. Little do they know that I'm about to take Bambi, to, to about to tap Bambi out, submit him. That was it. We were in trouble. I was legitimately nervous. That was the first time I can remember where I thought like my life was in danger. And you think, oh, a deer? Are you kidding me? No, no, no. When you have a deer running at you full speed with antlers, I mean, they must have stopped ten yards away from us. I think. I was going to ask you how, how close you think I think, got. I think it was literally 10 yards. enough for me to. I yeah, ten yards probably mm-hmm. at the most. Yeah, stamping their feet, uh, lowering their head. It was it was nuts. And I can only imagine what what uh, the people in the parking lot, the families that were in the parking lot, or in the the uh, you know the nearby meadow closest to the parking lot, what what they thought might be going on with this screaming and yelling. And finally, I got the bear horn to work. Um, I finally found the bear horn in my fanny pack and and uh, got it operational. But uh, what those people must have been thinking, and you're right, I, I had visions of, of parents covering their toddler's ears over you know, what was coming from, from Jukebox's mouth. They, it wasn't a song this time. They tell you, you know, when you see a mountain lion to get big, well, if you see a deer, try and get big too, because that apparently worked. I was flailing my arms in the air, <laughs> screaming like Bigfoot. I was, and so every time, ever, ever since that incident when we see deer, I always get mad because Doc always tries to take pictures, and I'm like, hey, buddy, we got to get through here, all right? <laughs> I don't need. You. I need your hand on the bear horn, not the not the camera here. Yeah, and to be fair, that that has been the only time where the deer were aggressive. All the other times that we've seen deer on the trail, they've been really uh, calm, peaceful, placid, uh, really not too concerned with us, and and we weren't concerned with them. But this this was something else altogether. Man. They were, they were must have been too close to society. They were too a part of what we're all a part of. They were too aggressive. The the other deer out there, they're peaceful. They mind their business. You know, yeah, they're respectful. So yeah, these these deer are kind of on the fringe of the, uh, the yeah. wilderness. They're they're close to being. They're almost like acculturated to to what we do. So they're sporting the bad attitudes, like, uh, like exactly. Got exactly. it. Exactly. Got it. All right. Hey, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the the one of the most epic trips we took, uh, Mineral King uh, Loop, which uh, I organized and enlisted. Uh, it was me, jukebox, and chopper. Didn't do enough research, evidently, because it kicked our butts. So that's that's coming up after the break. Stay tuned. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. 
Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. All right, welcome back. So this Mineral King loop trip, Mineral King is also in Sequoia National Park. Uh, we did it in three days. Might be better to do it in four days. I don't know. It is a, it's a little over 25-mile loop um, with nearly 10,000 feet of vertical up and down. And, of course, uh, you're in Sequoia, so it requires a, a permit. Uh, we started at the Timber Gap Trailhead, and we went clockwise. We'd seen different um, posts about people going counterclockwise. Uh, I think the most favorable ratings were going clockwise because uh, if you go counterclockwise, you got to go up some really loose, pumicey terrain up to Sawtooth Pass. So we say that for the end. We came down the pumice instead of going up the pumice. <clears throat> so we started Timber Gap. We went clockwise. Uh, there are two 11,500-foot passes on this trail. There's Black Rock Pass and Sawtooth Pass. And as you're going up Black uh, Black Rock Pass, it, that ascends 4,000 feet in about five miles. So it's pretty steep uphill. And we ran into some trouble there, as, as you've heard uh, from Chopper last episode. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, this episode as well. But, uh, you know, through, through the duration of the trip, after you go over Black Rock Pass, you get to Little Five Lakes and then Big Five Lakes. And I thought one of the most picturesque portions of any hike that I've done is the Lost Canyon section of uh, the Mineral King Loop. And then you go up to Sawtooth Pass and, and down Sawtooth, uh, back down to the parking lot. So a lot of memorable moments on this trip for sure. Uh, when you talk about Lost Canyon, is that when we... You, we go through that valley first, and then as soon as we get up there, it plateaus, and there was green everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was one of my favorite places as well. Yeah. But I was also thought you were going to talk about the campsite. I can't remember if it was a Big Five or Little Five. Yeah, it was a Big Five. Yeah, and where you could see Mount Whitney. Yes. From the campsite we were on. Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. That was that yeah. was very cool. But one of the one of the interesting things about doing the Mineral King Loop is that you know you pick up your permit from the the ranger station there outside of uh, right right before the Timber Gap Trailhead, and they tell you that you need to wrap your car. You need to wrap the bottom of your car, and if you don't have a tarp with you, they have tarps and and ropes to to help you do this that they loan to you. And do you know remember the reason why you had to tarp your the bottom of your car? The marmots. The marmots. They are accustomed, or they they have grown. Uh, interested in they've acquired a taste that's what i'm looking for they've acquired a taste for the rubber that exists in cars uh engines and exhaust systems they'll chew right through hoses electrical wire all kinds of stuff you so you can go out on a three or four day trip at, at mineral king and come back and find your car inoperational because the marmots have just gone to town on it so they they require you to take a tarp and drive on top of the tarp and then using ropes pull that tarp up close uh, under your undercarriage so that the marmots can't get into it it was a interesting concept i had not known about that prior to the trip and for someone who maybe hasn't done a through uh, a loop or a through hike like that i was very cautious to make sure that we did it correctly because the last thing i wanted to do was to be stranded after four days of hiking with no vehicle to get back out i think that was a major concern of mine i says oh, i 
I hope the Marmons don't get in. That would have been terrible, absolutely terrible, especially the shape we're in when we when we got finished oh, yeah. with this trip and we oh, were yeah. exhausted. So the last thing we'd want to do is be sitting in a parking lot figuring out, you know, how we were going to get home. So what I remember on that first day of of hiking is there was a lot of uphill. We actually uh, there's some uphill to start the start the hike, and then you crest this this uh, little little uh, top of a uh, of a mountain, a hill, whatever you want to call it, and then you go down again towards this river, and then you spend the rest of the day after you get past that river climbing again. And um, I was, uh, you know, that ascent. I don't know if it was the heat, if it was just the first day. I always do poorly on the first day of a hike. Um, I, I was just struggling. I know you guys were were off feeling good and we're, we're moving quite along right along um you guys had a, a good head start on me i was hiking by myself for for a lot of that time and just feeling exhausted my legs were cramping up uh there came a point where you guys i know took a breather and, and waited for me and uh how long how long while you guys were waiting before you you heard or saw me uh, i i think it was like 15 minutes before i had heard you i remember walking back I think I actually backtracked a little bit to find you because I was getting nervous that I hadn't seen you in so long. I think after like 15 minutes, I left my pack and I got up and I went back a little bit and I found you and you were like, did you not hear the bear horn? I was like, no, I didn't hear the bear horn. So the bear horn, I had pulled out the bear horn that we had talked about previously and I was so angry at myself for not feeling well and uh, it didn't help that, that obviously the two guys I was hiking with were, were doing just great. I mean, just steamed right up this, this ascent. And, you know, there are you know, a bunch of high bushes. I think, you know, it's like a high shrubbery yeah. and, and trees. So I, they were obscured from my, my view. I have no idea where they, where they were going to stop or wait. But I just envisioned them just going and going and going. And, and here I am uh, trying to overcome these cramps that had, that had come into my legs again. And so I pulled out the bear horn and I, I let off a few blasts, uh, hoping that would uh, not sit. I, mean, I wasn't trying to signal that there was a bear coming or anything or even that the deer were coming after me. I was just, you know, trying to let them know that, hey, I'm still back here and I'm not I'm not doing too well. I might need a little bit of help or something. Didn't want to die alone out there. And so I finally, he came back and I, I walked up with him the, the final bit and uh, to where they had decided to take a rest. And I was so exhausted that I just took my, my sleeping pad out and yeah. laid it in the middle of the trail. Middle of the trail. I think he laid there for about 30 minutes too. And we there were, nobody walked by. I don't think there was a single hiker that came through. No, we were pretty remote. Didn't see a lot of people on this trip. Yeah. You know why there weren't that many people on the trip? Because it was hard. Yes. Yeah. Because you didn't do enough research to realize that this was for... This was for billy goats, not humans. Yeah, I almost, we almost invited, uh, in fact, I had invited uh, uh, somebody else and his son that I, you know, somebody I worked with, and they were looking to get into into hiking and backpacking, and so it, they bailed out kind of uh, maybe a month before, said they couldn't do it, but it's probably a really good thing that they didn't come with us because this was not a starter hike. If this had been their first hiking experience, first backpacking experience, they never would have done it again. Never, so, never. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was much harder than I realized. Just with the total elevation gain and the the uh, the steep the steep ascents at times, so it was it was pretty tough. And, then, and some of you might be wondering, well, you know, if you're hiking with others, how is it that you are, you know, hiking alone? And uh, that's not uncommon. You know, you go out with with two or three guys and. 
everybody hikes at their own speed and so there's a natural distance that kind of builds up between you and not unusual at all to kind of be strung out along along the trail with you know a quarter mile half mile distance in between the the first guy and the last guy and uh, it can be pretty cool sometimes because you you get the feel like you're doing a, a, a solo hike, which, you know, you're out there in the wilderness alone with your thoughts and just the, the, the beauty of nature. Uh, very, very cool uh, scenario. Yeah, definitely. And the group's obviously going to reconvene at points in the hike. They're not going to forget about each other, even though you were a little bit behind us that day. Yeah, so I knew eventually they'd stop and wait for me. I just didn't want it to be, you know, five miles from then. So Didn't know if it was going to be pre or post heart attack. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So we, we stumble into, or they didn't stumble. I stumbled into our campsite that night at Pinto Lake, which I'm not sure I ever saw Pinto Lake. It was I, I knew where it was on the map, but I never saw a large body of water in that vicinity. I think it was a kind of a smaller pond, maybe. It was... Yeah, we got into camp and got our tents up and ate dinner. And uh, this was one of those times where it really was uh, a good example of just being totally exhausted. We sat there and looked at each other. I don't think we talked a whole lot. We just kind of looked at each other, looked around for half hour, 45 minutes and said, that's it. I'm going to bed. Yeah, definitely. I think that was a a big reason why we didn't find Pinto Lake because I think we were just looking for the first available campsite that we could park it at. After that little lounge break we had where you were laying on the on the trail, I think we were just looking for the closest spot to pack it up for the night and uh, and just call it. So I think we were in bed by like 6, I remember. I remember we were looking at each other, and there was nothing that could be said that would be better than sleeping, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, another, another great example of me looking forward to seeing the stars and never even getting close to seeing the stars. So uh, in bed while it was still... You know, several hours of daylight left. Pretty sad. But uh, the next day was a tough day because it was the that 4,000 feet of ascent in five miles uh, heading up to Black Rock Pass. And, you know, while Jukebox here didn't think anything of it, I mean, he just, he went like a billy goat. Uh, Chopper got progressively worse that morning. He Started out okay, but then he got slower and slower. And when we were about a half mile from the top, he was he was stopping every fifty yards, every hundred yards, and emptying the contents of his stomach uh, off the side of the trail. There, <laughs> it was not it was not pretty. I also had no idea that this was happening because I was at the top of the pass, and so when you guys got there, you were saying like, "Oh, Dan's not feeling that, or Chopper's not feeling that well," and I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty tired too. You know, I just." I'm pretty sore as well. Little did I know, we start climbing down Blacktooth and uh, or Black Rock, and Chopper's. You know, he's letting it all out on the way down. And I realized, oh, okay, I think he's he's in more trouble than I am. Yeah, it was it was kind of a game for me where uh, I was I was pulling up the rear. I didn't want to go faster than than Chopper. I wanted to let him take his time and not feel like he was, you know, left alone in this situation. And so he would he would stop every 50, 75 yards to, for his puke break, and I would spend the time scanning the trail up ahead, uh, up above, trying to find where, where Jukebox was. And Jukebox would be posing off of uh, different rock formations and <laughs> scaling things in his spare time while he's waiting for us. And uh, we finally got to the top, and Chopper uh, just kind of laid down and, and took it easy for a good half hour, see if that would make him feel any better. 
and it didn't. And we realized that uh, this is probably a serious case of altitude sickness and we needed to get him down as quickly as possible. There's no, the only cure for altitude sickness is to get to a lower altitude. Right, right. Um, and so what, we we decided we needed to find the ranger once we got down from Black Rock. Yeah, so we got to Little Five Lakes um, after Black Rock Pass and Chopper kind of laid down on his uh, sleeping pad again and it was just out of it. Headache, pounding out of control, nausea, uh, not feeling well, not talking, not making a whole lot of uh, coherent sense either. And so jukebox, we looked at the maps and saw that there was a ranger station not too far away at one of the lakes. And so jukebox uh, left his pack and headed out on the trail to use his speed and go find the ranger. Right. So I went to the ranger hut. Um, I think you call it a yurt, a yurt, right? a yeah. yurt, basically surrounded by wooden poles and a couple wires of electrical uh, deterrent there, like a, a makeshift electrical fence, a little do-it-yourself. Um, and the yurt itself is, uh, very small. It has, it's probably the size of a small, it's like an office almost where he's got his little cot, which is basically a wooden bench with, you know, a mattress topper on it and, you know, a little desk and then all his food. Very small, but Ranger said, okay, where are you guys at? I said, okay, we're over there before we really get through. We're at the beginning of the little five lakes and he got his first aid gear and followed me out there and... Yeah, so he, he gave he gave Chopper some oxygen, was taking his vitals. He had this huge, uh, well, it wasn't a huge phone. It was a, some kind of satellite phone with a huge antenna on it. Um, maybe it was, it, it, you know, if it was a satellite phone, it wouldn't have had this huge antenna. It would have connected with the satellites. It was, it was some kind of huge radio. It was a radio with this huge antenna. He was communicating with um, the doctors back at Visalia, the hospital in Visalia, and so Dan uh, Chopper finally got to a point where he could he could stand and walk, and we we uh, did a slow march to where the ranger station was, and kind of there's an adjacent campsite. We kind of uh, set up tents there, and the thinking was, okay, we're just gonna we're going to uh, maybe take an extra day. We're going to uh, take it easy, see if Chopper recovers, and then the ranger came and told us that in his talks back and forth with with uh, the doctors in Visalia that really we were in between Black Rock Pass and Sawtooth Pass. And we were at an elevation where it was not going to be helpful for, for Chopper to stay. We weren't to coming. Stay. We, we weren't getting down anytime soon. We weren't getting down far enough to, to alleviate the I, situation. I actually think the only way that he could have gotten down other than the way he went out was by horseback through Rattlesnake Canyon. Do you remember that? Vaguely, vaguely. I remember the ranger saying that, and we said, "Well, is Rattlesnake Canyon, you know?" Is this? He's like, "Oh yeah, lots of rattlesnakes down there. That's just that's the name. It's named for a reason." Yeah. yeah. So he had talked to the doctors and decided the doctors had decided that uh, this case warranted a, a helicopter evacuation. And so we we talked about that last episode. Uh, Chopper took us through that, and uh, again, I was very disappointed that they didn't strap him to one of the skids of the helicopter. Uh, that would have been uh, momentous, but they, they put him in a flight suit. They let him walk on a helicopter, which, you know, I was, you know, very disappointed in. I, I wanted him strapped to a skid <laughs> and they, they took him out of there. And we were going to camp there that night before, before, uh, the decision was made for the helicopter evac, but jukebox and I decided once Chopper had 
taken off in the chopper, that we were going to continue making some miles and see how far we could get so that we could wrap this up in, in three days and not four days. And the ranger said, hey, one of the best campsites you're going to find, don't camp down at, the, at, at you know at Big Five Lakes. Don't, don't camp at you know lake level. If you go up behind um, and go up some, some of these granite steps, you get to a perch that is kind of, uh, I don't know, 40 feet, 60 feet above the lake. Yeah. And he says it's it's one of his favorite camping spots. So we took him up on that, and we looked for that and found it. And he was right. It was pretty epic. It was a nice campsite. You could see the top of Mount Whitney. You could see the whole mountain range back there. Um, yeah, deep in the distance, you saw Mount Whitney. It was it was impressive. Do you also remember the ranger station was a little detour from the trail itself. And so we, we asked the ranger, we said, hey, how do we get back to the trail? Is there a shortcut kind of through here straight ahead? He's like, oh, yeah, if you just hike through here you'll eventually meet up with the trail it took us quite a while to find the trail after chopper left yeah we were going overland and just thinking to ourselves well trail is going to be obvious we're going we're to come across the trail and there's the trail and it's not going to be a problem we were stumbling and bumbling around for a long time and it was only when we saw some hikers that had passed us going the other direction off in the distance that we kind of got an idea of okay that's that's where the trail is we were, we were not close to it and mind you, when you're looking for a trail, anytime you see packed dirt anywhere, you think, oh, maybe that this could be the trail. I must have thought we were on the trail 100 times on the way to the actual trail. Yeah, you're looking for hard dirt. You're looking for footprints, boot, boot prints in the dirt. Yeah. And thinking, okay, that, that's going to indicate that you know, I'm, on, I'm back on the trail. But it, was, it, was, it took longer than we thought it was going to take to find that trail again. Definitely. So we camped out at uh, this great perch above the above Big Five, uh, Big Five Lakes, and the next morning got up um, and hiked around Big Five Lakes. And you make this turn, and you come into this. You're going upwards. You're you're, you're following this stream that's coming downhill, and you're in these trees. And eventually, you come out of the trees, and you're in this canyon. It's called Lost Canyon. And it was one of the prettiest uh, sections of any hike that I've done. You have these kind of sheer walls to either side of you. And you've got about uh, a few hundred yards to a half mile of this canyon with just lush green grass and this river snaking through it and all kinds of marmots and huge boulders. It was really picturesque. It looked otherworldly. It looked like from a sci-fi movie or... I felt like I was, uh, you know, on a, a Star Wars world, like somewhere like off of the planet Earth, you know? Yeah, one of the most beautiful places I've seen. It was it was incredible. And then you, you're as you're walking through that canyon, you, you're getting closer and closer to this sheer wall in front of you. The canyon ends and you're wondering, okay, where do we go now? And uh, that last bit, that final ascent up to Columbine Lake and to Sawtooth Pass was no joke. It was steep. I mean, you're very, you are extremely close to it, except the, like, it's just a wall in front of you. Like, you're very close to the lake, but you have to go up and up and up Mm -hmm. and up and up. Yeah, and one of the things when we got up to Columbine Lake, one of the things I realized was this is the lake that I had seen the day before. When we were when we were going up to Black Rock Pass, there was a if you look off in the distance off to the right, there's a series of three lakes kind of cascading and feeding into each other. So you have this highest lake with this rock formation behind it, and it feeds into a, kind of a middle lake, and then a few hundred feet below that is the the lower lake at the 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 valley floor, 
and I realized that you know I am now standing where I was looking at from from the ascent to Black Rock Pass the day before. It was it would kind of blew my mind. I didn't realize that that was uh, what I was looking at the day before, and that rock formation behind uh, the highest lake that was Sawtooth Pass. Yeah, a lot of bouldering up to Sawtooth as well. Yeah, after we got up, once we got to the lake, you have to keep going up to get to the pass. Mm-hmm. And I remember there being a lot of bouldering. We had to keep an eye out for the what do they call those little indicators they stack the rocks cairns cairns yeah we Mm -hmm. had to keep an eye out for those definitely yeah so we got to the top took a breather and then what should have been a nice downhill descent uh back to the parking lot was really torturous I, i i can't imagine climbing up uh that side and having to deal with all the loose pumice it was it was uh very difficult to find the trail you're slipping and sliding, uh, almost glissading. I would say in pumice. my pro tip of the week would be to take your another pro tip of the week consideration would be to take your time um, trying to find the trail going down from Sawtooth. Just because I fell more times and slipped and fell on my tuchus more times than I have in my entire hiking career on that one stretch there. I think I must have fallen six or seven times in like hurt my hands they were bleeding a little bit i cut them up like it was bad yeah you don't want to damage your tuchus that's uh no that's serious injury yeah so it was it was a nightmare going down that side of sawtooth and i'm glad we went clockwise on the mineral king loop because first day going up that pumice would have i would have been done it was a steep ascent too from the other side Mm -hmm. like ours was tough but the other side almost looked impossible to try and Mm -hmm. come up there from that route, didn't I mean? I thought everyone I saw walking past me was struggling. Yeah. To get up there. Yeah, that was uh, that would be a difficult route. So, uh, definitely, our recommendation would be clockwise on the the Mineral King Loop. Uh, and so then it was, you know, we having gone over those those passes, having gone through what we did with Chopper, um, going down the pumice. It seemed like the last five miles of the the trail back to the parking lot. It was a it was a death march. It was endless. It seemed endless. You kept and the worst part is when you have your GPS telling you a certain distance and it's not matching up with 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 what's actually ahead of mm-hmm. you. I remember thinking, oh, we only got two miles left. Okay, mm-hmm. the two miles seemed like it was five miles. It just kept getting longer and longer and longer. Yeah, it went forever. Uh, we finally got back to the parking lot. Luckily, you know, we had been driven up by Chopper in Chopper's uh, uh, vehicle. And luckily, we got Chopper's keys from him before he got on the Chopper. So we had the keys. We unwrapped the car. The marmots hadn't done any damage. And we were able to start that baby up and head back down the mountain to, to civilization. And I remember we stopped. There was a small... Was it like a general store, a small restaurant? It was amidst all the cabins. It looked like a... A little vantage point where all the the cabins would convene there in Sequoia. Yeah, because there was not much, there were there were not many places to filter water or get water that last five miles. I think we were we were both empty. Oh yeah, all of our yeah. all of our hydration was gone, and I was just hoping and praying that that they would have something at this what we had driven by before. We hadn't stopped in, but there was you know it looked like a store. I was hoping that they would have something there, and and of course we were filthy and smelly and uh, uh, didn't really fit in with the other clientele there that were at that restaurant. Not but, at all. They but, looked they looked pretty refreshed, prim and proper. Yeah. But uh, they got us some some refreshments to go and, and we, we made it on down. So that was 
a, a great example of even though it's a three day trip. I mean, there is not much more that could have happened in that trip. No, uh, it was it was jam packed with just different types of ep- epic moments from the helicopter evac to um, some of the some of the scenery and the views and Lost Canyon and uh, that final piece getting back to the car. So a lot of great memories there. So hope you guys enjoyed our three shorter trips and don't don't think that just because it's a short trip it's not going to be a worthwhile or a memorable trip it can absolutely be uh completely epic you, you have to remember <clears throat> although it's only two or three days or even one day when you're out there that day is 10 times longer than the day you have back in civilization they're way longer the days are way longer true there's there's regular civilized hours and there's hiking hours yes yes got it all right so we covered a lot of ground today, Jukebox. A uh, lot of, I think there's a lot of candidates in today's episode for pro tip insight of the week. What do you What do you think it might be this week? I would go with uh, the phrase "hike your hike" because I'm gonna I'm gonna reference a quote here. I hope I don't butcher it, but uh, the same man will never walk in the same river twice, for he is not the same man, and that is not the same river. And I think on the trail, you experience that one time for yourself. And no one's going to be able to experience that the way you do. So I think at the end of the day, it's awesome to hike in groups for safety purposes and, you know, campfire chatter. But at the end of the day, it's you and that's your trail that day. So I would say, you know, hike your hike. That was truly impressive. I I thought the jukebox was just good for for songs and for requests for songs. That's that's some deep thought right there. I have a couple of those every now and then. All right, so there you have it. That's it. Episode four is in the books. I want to thank Jukebox for coming on today and helping me out with our shorter trips episode. Jukebox, I hope you enjoyed it and you'll come back for a future episode. Remember, if you're interested in being a guest contributor for the John Freakin' Muir pod, there are a number of ways to get in touch. There's email at johnfreakinmuir at gmail.com as well as Twitter at johnfreakinmuir and Instagram, johnfreakinmuir. And for clarification, there is no G in freakin'. I'll also be posting some pictures of the trips Jukebox and I talked about today on Twitter and Instagram so you can take a look at the actual pictures of the places we talked about. Also, if you are hiking all or part of the JMT this season and would like to be a correspondent from the trail in order to share conditions and stories, please get in touch and let's set that up. That's a wrap from the John Freakin' Muir Studio with Jukebox and Doc. Thank you for tuning in and always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.